In this episode of Boss Files. If you survey people today, 100,000 people, yeah. and said, do you want to lead a healthier life? Pretty much they're all going to say yes. If you then ask, well, what's the first thing you think you need to do? 75% plus will say, lose weight or eat healthier. But what we're trying to do yeah. is build an ecosystem of wellness for people. So nutrition, activity, mindset, motivation, community, and support. Mindy Grossman, she's president and CEO of WW, the newly rebranded Weight Watchers, and she's leading a Herculean turnaround of the more than 50-year-old brand with nearly 5 million subscribers, turning the focus away from weight loss and on to wellness. A self-described transformer, she's helped turn around big brands as the former CEO of Home Shopping Network, and she's had big roles at Nike and Ralph Lauren. But WW stock has seen a sharp decline since the start of the year as new diet trends become more popular. What did the keto do- diet do to you guys? Look, do you blame that for a big I don't part blame, of the challenge? I don't blame anyone for anything. Uh, you got to take responsibility for yourself. What happens if weight loss becomes in vogue again? This is not a matter of something being in vogue or not in vogue. This literally today is a matter of a global crisis in obesity. We are the biggest proponents of body positivity in the world. Plus, the most important piece of data she says they get from consumers, and why she calls herself an intrapreneur. Plus, the Oprah effect. The media mogul is not only a spokeswoman, but also a board member and one of WW's largest shareholders. Here's our conversation with Mindy Grossman. Mindy Grossman, thanks for being here. It's great to be here. I've followed your career for a long time. Although you don't seem to age, I will say that. Well, thank you for that. But every time I go over <laughs> 40 years, I'm like, oh, I started very young. Very, very young. Um, so in a recent New York Times article starts out by saying you're an FOO. Do you know what an FOO is? Friend of Oprah. Friend of Oprah. And I go, <laughs> okay, that's part of Mindy. But Mindy is Mindy. How do you describe Mindy Grossman? So my whole career has been about transformation and my life to a degree has been about transformation. So um, if I was going to pick any given moniker, that probably would be it. The transformer. Yeah. Not the like little plastic ones that our kids play with. Those are cute too, but uh, different kind of transformation. Well, you did say in that same Times article, I'm not the turnaround girl. I am a transformation growth person. So, I mean, talk about a transformation. That's exactly what you are knee-deep in, waist-deep in, neck-deep in right now with WW, formerly Weight Watchers. Um, from the outside, it looks like a Herculean task. What are you building? You know, transformation is never easy, and it's never linear. And having done that in my past lives, whether it was at HSN or in terms of growth, like when I was at Nike, um, it really is about setting a vision, a strategy, Mm -hmm. executing against that and being nimble and agile along the way. I love legacy brands that have had tremendous impact on people. And if you think about Weight Watchers, as you said, now WW, you know, it has been transforming lives since 1963. Mm. And yes, we are unequivocally the best 
weight loss program on the planet. It was built on that and it was built on community. But in today's environment and giving people's perspective on health and wellness and actually given the crisis we have in the world in areas such as obesity, diabetes, et cetera, not only do we have the permission, but we actually, in my opinion, have the responsibility to be that much more and truly be a partner to people in what their goals are to lead a healthier and more fulfilled lives. So you'd call yourself a wellness company now. Fair? We are a wellness company with an expertise and a focus on weight loss. And the reason why that's important, if you surveyed, and we have, we do a lot of qualitative and quantitative research. If you survey people today, 100,000 people, yeah. and said, do you want to lead a healthier life? Pretty much they're all going to say yes. If you then ask, well, what's the first thing you think you need to do? 75% plus will say, lose weight or eat healthier. So, but what we're trying to do yeah. is build an ecosystem of wellness for people. So nutrition, activity, mindset, motivation, community, and support. And over the course of the last year, if you look at what we're providing people in tools and motivation and in value, it is an entire ecosystem to support that. But it's important that we have people understand who we are today and what we provide. Well, when, and let me just, I was going to dive into and dig into Weight Watchers in a little bit, but let's just go there now and then let's get your story. Um, you, you just said a moment ago, we are sort of unequivocally the best weight loss company in the world. You're the CEO. I'd expect you to say that, but you guys have struggled. I mean, the stock is down 50% from the start of the year. If you are the best, then what do you see that the consumer and investors aren't seeing right now? So let's separate science, efficacy, weight loss. I mean, for the last nine years, we've been number one best diet. Um, and if you look at where we are now, so 2018 for the company was a spectacular year on all fronts. And as we That came, was your first full year. Yes. And, you know, we had set goals for the company um, last February. We came out with what we called our impact manifesto, which was our new purpose, which is to inspire healthy habits for real life, people, families, communities, world for everyone around the democratization of wellness and built the ecosystem, as we discussed. Um, coming into 2019, certainly had plans coming in. We were anniversarying the most phenomenal recruitment season in the company's history, probably underestimated how significant that impact was. With Oprah. Um, you know, Oprah has been part of an incredible part of the organization, certainly board member, supporter, advisor. I don't think a lot of people know that she is a board member and that she's a big investor, too. She's a big investor. And as a matter of fact, before I joined the company, I spent time with her saying, why? Well, she's the why reason. Did Isn't you? she the reason that you, like, she was part of getting you to yes on this job? Well, can I tell you, the yes was so much more than that. It was the impact that this brand has been able to make on people for so many years. And what's interesting is of, I spoke to so many people who have been part of 
our community, whether they were part of it, their family, their friends. Not one person leads with how much weight they lost. They lead on how we've changed their lives. I'm a better person. I'm a better parent. Um, I'm, I'm leading a more fulfilled life. And that was so motivating to me to believe that we could be that much more. And certainly, yes, I asked Oprah, you know, why she wanted to be part of this brand in this company and be an investor and be a board member. And it's because she had the same belief of what we can accomplish. And we're in that uh, transformation of having people, all people, uh, understand what it is we're providing. And we did have a slower start to 2019 than we had anticipated. We quickly rallied to make appropriate changes, whether that be in our marketing, our communication, um, what, do you th- what do you think it was? Because, I mean, you've been familiar with the brand since you were 14, right? Yeah, you, my you, first Weight Watchers meeting was 14 on Long Island with my mother. And I think another reason I'm so passionate, um, you know, my mother, wonderful, wonderful woman, but never took care of herself. She had her first heart attack at 50. Um, you know, I was trying all kinds of diets because she was always on one. She had, you know, a very big weight issue. And I just saw the toll it took. Mm-hmm. I saw the fact that, you know, when my daughter was born, she couldn't travel with us. She couldn't do things. And, you know, my feeling is that everybody should be able to live, live the best life they possibly can. And what they need to do is learn the right habits and the behaviors um, that become so ingrained, they become sustainable, and that's what they do. So if I was going to say, um, what were some of the challenges? I'd say, number one, probably underestimating how big a hill we had to climb based on the phenomenon of freestyle launching last year, Um, particularly in terms of recruiting prior members to the program. Uh, We launched our new campaign around uh, WW and Wellness That Works, even with a transition to Weight Watchers. And the goal of the campaign was twofold. One was to elevate the brand and relevancy and cultural impact, which it did. Our brand perception, relevancy, modernity is at an all-time high in the history of the company. Mm However, on the flip side, it didn't recruit to the levels that we needed it to. We needed some more of a bridge to the new Weight Watchers, which we've done. We've stabilized the business. Um, But it caused us to sit back and say, okay, we're going to reset some of the timelines in terms of us achieving our goals. And that's where we are. You know, some of the best CEOs that I uh, know and have covered for over a decade they take the long view. They hate, you know, having quarterly earnings or forecasts to Wall Street, and they hate sort of the that short-term pressure that the street often puts on companies with long-term goals. You're smiling for people on the podcast who can't hear you that. You I mean, have to, have to, have to have the long view, or that's you're where your going eyes are. to make wrong decisions. Now, what we've articulated is that in terms of resetting our timelines, we are going to be discreet in terms of our investments, but we're gonna continue to invest where we feel we need to, to achieve our long-term goals. And whether that's investments in technology uh, or talent or data, um, the things that we need to do to ensure that we can 
focus on our priorities, which is our marketing efficacy and communication, which is the transformation of our field organization. You know, we'll end this quarter with about 4.6 million subscribers, which is still a very high number. Um, and they're all digital subscribers. I mean, a lot of people don't understand the wealth and the quality of the technology we have, but we still have 30,000 workshops a week wow. and one-on-one -on -one interaction. So we need to continue to elevate that. We need to focus on personalization. Uh, we're excited that we're launching uh, new program innovation in nutrition uh, for 2020, which will start at the end of this year. So a focus on that. And then another focus on bringing community events and experiences, really so people can understand not just the brand, but the impact we can make. And I'm working closely with Oprah on that, and we've brought on Amy Weinblum from her team. So those are the priorities we're very focused on. So um, and that's what we're investing in. More from my conversation with Mindy Grossman after the break. I think for people to understand the story of what you're building and this turnaround, I think they need to understand you. At least I did need to understand you in preparing for this. And I wanted to know why, for example, you know, when Oprah talked about you uh, to the media, she said that your vision for WW was, quote, music to my spirit. So let's go back to the beginning of Mindy and the fact that you are adopted. The story of how you are adopted is truly remarkable, and I don't say that lightly. It was the kindness of your father's boss, who is yeah. the reason that your parents raised you. Yeah, it was very interesting. My, my mother um, didn't finish high school because she had an elderly parent who was ill. Um, and my father finished high school and went into the Air Force. And when they got married, she was 18 and he was 22. And all she wanted was a child. And they tried and tried and tried. And finally, 12 years later, she was 30. My dad was 34. My dad worked nights in the produce business. And he went in to work one night at midnight. And his boss, Charlie, uh, walked up to him and said, I, I can't see you so despondent, you're too good. And he handed him an envelope with a check and the check afforded my parents the ability to adopt a child. So I was adopted when I was three days old. And from the second I can remember, A, I always knew I was adopted. B, I was told I was special and I could do anything I wanted special, to do. Special, not different, you say? Special, um, that, you know, and they chose me, right? And so from the time I can remember, um, I took that as a responsibility. And what I mean by that is that I was given something that very few people have been given. You know, who knows what my life would have been. And so I said, if, if I've had this opportunity, I have to do something with it. I have to use it and I have to take it seriously and responsibly. So I was pretty focused and serious. And, pretty focused. Uh, graduated high school at 16, yeah. college at 19. Yeah, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. So I got did engaged I. to be married. I didn't, yeah, but you broke off that engagement. Yes, I did. Neither of us went to law school. Yeah. So that was in our best laid oh, plans. Oh, did you as well? Oh my gosh, I was like despondent when I didn't get into, you know, Harvard Law, Yale, Columbia. <laughs> best thing that ever happened to me, by the way. Yeah. But well, I, you, you know, know, me too. I decided it was my senior year of uh, college, it was last semester. And I just said, whoa, whoa, 
I have to sit back and say, mm -hmm. is this really my life or am I doing what I think is what expected I to, of me, exactly, or is this really what I wanted to do? And I said, no, I don't think so, and I need to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So imagine calling my stereotypical Jewish parents and saying, I have something to tell you. I'm not, uh, I'm not getting married. I'm breaking my engagement. I'm not going to law school in the fall, and I'm moving to New York City, and I'm going to figure it out. What was and the response? What, what, did, what, did they hang up? Silence, right? <laughs> um, but... You know, I knew I was going to be supporting myself. My parents didn't have a lot of resources, and uh, and that's what I did. I moved to New York and spent the first, you know, 18 years of my career in the menswear industry. And part of it is I knew I wanted to be in a more creative business, even though I might not be the creator. I wanted to be in the business of making creativity and, you know, a business. Where did that stomach for risk come from, that appetite for risk? Because, I mean, I remember barely being able to make the rent in this tiny apartment I had on 114th Street on the west side with a with a guy. Honestly, this was a my roommate was from Craigslist. And like I remember what that $875 check was like to make. Um, you know, no, I, I remember. What was your, what was I yours remember like? my first apartment. I was on First Avenue between 73rd and 74th. It was a 300 square foot or 330 square foot studio that I was paying $350 a month. I think my first job, my salary was $15,600. And on Fridays, if I ran out of, the bus was a quarter there. Yeah. <laughs> this was 1977, yeah. showing my age. But um, I sometimes would have to uh, walk to work. Yeah. Um, but you know what? So much of it was exciting. You know, it was doing something on your own. It was meeting all new people. It was throwing yourself. And I remember taking textile technology courses at night at FIT really? while I was working. And I remember my first interview. I don't know if you, so yeah, I was interviewing for uh, with the president of the international division of a company called Manhattan Industries, like a menswear portfolio company. And it, in the interview, finally, I get through the interview, and Fred Rothstein, in his name, was his name, said to me, "Well, do you take shorthand?" I said, "No, but I take fast longhand." And <laughs> you just realize you go with it. But you know, on the risk piece, yeah, you know, the risk I took um, coming to New York and changing my life. If I could take that risk. Uh, I realized, and I realized to this day many times, and I tell this to people all the time, not taking the risk is oftentimes more risky than taking the risk and looking forward. And if you have to make adjustments or make changes along the way, I've taken other risks throughout my career. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about um, that at HSN, et cetera. But you've also said, Mindy, you have to know the difference for entrepreneurs. Between risk and suicide. Yes. And, so how do you know? Well, you can't be flippant about it. You know, as much as I say that day I woke up and I realized I'd been really thinking about it and crafted kind of my own plan. I'm a huge believer in list making and every move I've made, even before I moved, this is another thing. People get calls all the time for jobs or for opportunities. You have to run them through what we now call a purpose filter. And I, I didn't call it that at the time. Oprah definitely has purpose filters. Mm -hmm. She truly believes in, you know, really being strategic and disciplined about decision-making yeah. and the impact. And I'm that way as yeah. well. And 
what you need to write down at different parts of your career if you're contemplating change or if you're thinking about, is this fulfilling me, is you need to make a list of, you know, what is it that is important to you? What are the things that you feel you still need to experience and learn? Um, because it's not just a straight line upward well, mobility. And it's not the paycheck. I've taken pay cuts. Did you to take a pay cut coming forward. to this job? I actually, I took a, a pay cut going to Nike way back in my career because I felt that I'd been CEO of Polo Jeans Company. I started the business. Um, we were contemplating going public. The business got acquired by Jones New York. I stayed for a year and I had the opportunity to go to Nike. And I said, this is my opportunity to get an MBA in global business. Well, and by the way, that jump, I mean, just before we move on, a, a few weeks ago, Gwyneth Paltrow, now actress turned CEO, right, of Goop, said to me, some of the best advice she got was don't do something unless it's really going to move the needle. Meaning, meaning have that purpose filter, be purposeful. And I have found a lot of my time, I have spent just what my husband calls popping the little bubbles and not just focusing on the big things, which takes you know, the ability and the willingness to say no to a bunch of stuff that just eats up that time, right? And so what is the purpose? So when you made the jump purposefully to Nike, you were a mom, young, daughter. Yeah, yeah. it was, this was, it a, was big a hard family decision. conversation. I had originally, um, you know, there were three companies early in my career that I said I'd love to work for, Ralph Lauren, Nike, and Disney. So I worked for Ralph, I worked for Nike, and had a very long-standing strategic partnership right. uh, with Disney. Um, and so Phil Knight had just come back into the company in 1999. They had been having some challenges, and he was putting together a new executive team. And I was the first person out of the fashion apparel business to run their apparel business. And it no was first? such a huge opportunity. And I said no, because for many reasons, I couldn't pick up and move the family. My parents were older. My husband was in the financial markets to Portland. And I had to turn the job down, literally with tears in my eyes. And this is why I talk about Phil Knight in revered terms. I just finished um, his book, which, by the way, is fantastic. Everybody should reshoot it. It's the early days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, they called me back and said, look, we're willing to make it work if you can make it work. So I sat down with my family, my husband, my daughter, the nanny who was 20 years with us, B, and we said, you know what, we're going to try and make this work. So thinking it would be a couple of years and then we'd figure it out. And somehow six years went by and I did this crazy commute between New York, Portland, and was out of the country about 30% of the time. But it was an incredible experience to grow their global apparel business. I started their first women's leadership council, um, really was a voice within the company for diversity. And it was, you know, really understanding marketing at a very different level global uh, versus local, how do you really max, very similar to what we're doing today, how does our brand have very strong global reverberation yep. to people, but how do we localize it for relevance? Um, it was an incredible experience, but to your point, after six years, my daughter was going into her older years of high school. Um, my parents weren't doing well, and I had to rethink what do I want in the next stage of my career, and I was ready to be to the a next. CEO. Well, let's 
I want to hear wh- what told you you were ready to be a CEO in one moment. Uh, can we just be very honest about how hard that was, though, for you and for your family? Because I don't think oftentimes we're candid enough about the challenges that we face and that our children and our spouses face when we make these decisions that may ultimately be better for us and our family, but in the short term, it's hard. No, it's interesting. My daughter, who's now 29, and she has uh, a daughter, we talk about this a lot because everybody had to make sacrifices. And what I say is I sometimes had to make the decisions for work. Um, but I always look through the lens of my family and the critical things I needed to do, I worked to do. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have the technology then that we have today. There was no FaceTime. Right. Um, you know, I was lucky on a, if I was in China, I'll never forget getting a call on my flip phone in, in China from my daughter's, the nurse's office in my daughter's school saying she was sick. I needed to come pick her up. Oh and there I was tracking down my husband. Oh, right. um, and Why so did they not call the dads, the by the way? That still happens to me. I know. Me. Now they have to have both phone numbers. I mean, at least they have both, but they still call me. <laughs> they do. And I say, call her dad. Right. You know, because we're equal parents. Yeah. And, you know, we, we talk about it. Um, however, what I do believe wholeheartedly in is that you can't bifurcate your life. Hmm. Um, So as much as it was challenging, but I took Lizzie with me where I could, and whether that was the Tour de France or the World Swim Championships in Barcelona or experiences that we could have that we remember doing together, and then we would make our one-on-one time. But that's not to say that it was always easy, and I was very fortunate. You know, my husband um, is equal opportunity parent. He's amazing, and you know, as a matter of fact, a lot of the moms at school, um, you know, he was, you know, the parent that was probably there more. And I have to have tremendous respect for that. And I think that's why we all have the relationship that we have today. It, do you agree with, with Cheryl Sandberg, who, who famously wrote uh, before she lost her, her dear husband, Dave, the most important career choice you'll make is who you marry, she writes. I have an awesome husband and we're 50-50. I do believe that. You do. And I'm very, very fortunate to have someone who not only has ultimate respect, but partnership. And the other thing I would add to that yes. is you better have a great sense of humor <laughs> and be able to make each right. other laugh and never go to bed angry. I like that one. (laughs) More from my conversation with Mindy Grossman after the break. You said a moment ago, I knew I was ready to be a CEO. How did you know? I believe that I was ready to lead a team of individuals against a strategy and a vision for the business in its entirety. And I had an incredible role at Nike. I ran their $4 billion global apparel business. Uh, It was a matrixed organization. And yes, I had authority and Uh, But I also learned kind of the power of how you have to work across a matrix and how you have to build teams and organization, especially globally. Um, And and I was ready to test myself for that challenge. But where do you go when you've had an unbelievable, 
you know, six years at Nike. People, and I wrote that list because nobody expected me to do what I did. They thought you were having a midlife crisis. Mid, complete midlife crisis. <laughs> and, but I wrote a list. I said, you know, I, I want something entrepreneurial, but with scale. I've, I'm more of an entrepreneur is how I would describe hmm. it. I wanted something that was going to take advantage of changes that were happening in consumer behavior. So, you know, I saw the rise of mobility because I'd been spending so much time in Japan and other markets before it was sure. happening as much here. Um, I saw that brands were becoming distribution captive and the ability to tell stories around brands were becoming more and more difficult. Look, I worked for two great brands, Ralph Lauren and Nike, and I still saw some of those challenges. So imagine smaller brands. I saw how consumers were interfacing with media um, had changed. And I wrote this list and I I kept getting all these calls for roles. And finally, I said to one of the recruitment agencies, I go, you know what? Here's a list. And here are the things that are really important to me. And I remember her saying, that's all? And I went, yes. Do you remember and, what was on that list? And, well, everything that I, I oh, just right, right, talked right, right. about. And, and I wanted to get back to New York. Yes. And I get a call and goes, okay, I have it. You need to go have lunch with Barry Diller because you need to go run IAC retail. I said, well, look, I'd love to have lunch with Barry, but what is IAC retail? retail? And she said, well, it's Home Shopping Network, which is the television shopping, and it's this portfolio of catalog businesses like Frontgate and Ballard. And I said, okay, I have never watched Home Shopping Network. Uh, I'm really not familiar. Give me a couple of weeks let me, I'm curious, let me really look at this before I have lunch with Barry. You say you're obsessively curious. Obsessively. Um, and so what happened is I dove deep for a couple of weeks. I kept watching, you know, HSN Now and QVC and all of these. And I'm going, what would I do? What would I do? It's, it was interesting to me, this direct to consumer. Mm. And I'll never forget, I was watching Food Network which I loved at the time, which was less about competition then and really more about cooking. And all of a sudden, I clicked the channel to HSN, and Wolfgang Puck, who was one of the first personalities, was on. And he was engaging, and he was funny, and he was articulating, and he was cooking. And I was mesmerized. And this light bulb went off, and I said, oh, my God. This is about editorial program commerce. So why can't we be like Food Network or HDTV or DIY or Style, right. but actually let people buy the products? And with that, had lunch with Barry. And if you know Barry, he is very definitive and bold. And he's another you know, person who believes that risk-taking and boldness are the essence of transformation. He's also such a great interview because you know he's going to say exactly what he thinks. And he's terrifying no person filter. to prepare for the interview because you know if <laughs> you ask a question he thinks is dumb, he's going to tell you. Exactly. It's one of my favorite interviews ever was interviewing him years ago. Yeah. No, he's so straightforward yes. and so smart. And he was like, okay, go forth. And so with that, go I'll never forget, conquer. though, it gets announced that... You know, there I am leaving Nike. By the way, when you work for Nike, you're the cool kid. Okay? Yeah, totally. You go to a party, everybody, you know. And I said, I'm going to, you know, IAC Retail, Home Shopping Network. And people were like, you're doing what? And I remembered being at a cocktail party and they were, I was with a group of people. And one of them leaned over and said, you know, I've shopped on Home Shopping Network. I go, why are you whispering? <laughs> and uh, 
with that, though, I just saw it. And I remember, you know, my first day there saying, getting up in front of the organization and saying, this is why I joined. This opportunity is unfathomable. And stop thinking of yourself as a television network and start thinking of yourself as a content community and commerce platform across all these different digital platforms and video content and storytelling. Um, And it was incredibly exciting to transform the business from what was a linear shopping platform to an immersive content experience that could launch entrepreneurs or could focus on, you know, yes, a certain degree celebrity who wanted to bring their products to life um, and bring entertainment with partnerships such as Disney or Universal and music companies. Uh, it was incredible. You And that was a challenge because we're talking about going through, you know, the Lehman bankruptcy 2008, yeah, well, 2009. We, we, went, we took the company public in August 2008. Oh so, you know, we talked Jeez. earlier about challenges and transformation and it's not a linear journey. Um, you needed resilience yeah. then. You know, we Intestinal went public. fortitude, right? Very much Jeez. so. And a lot of it is not about was not about me personally. You know, we took the company public in August. Stock came out about $10 uh, right before Lehman. And by December of 2008, the stock was at $1.43 and our market cap was smaller than our receivable balance. Having nothing to do. Actually, HSM was one of the few businesses that grew Hmm. in 2008 and 2009. This was about investor confidence just Um, across the board. You you couldn't even get coverage. Um, You know, everybody was frozen. But what I kept thinking about is I have 6,000 people and their families and their communities depending on me, depending on us. And we need to make sure we're leaning forward into this. Um, And we're being offensive, not defensive. And we're figuring out how we still need to invest in the right innovations. And I do think if you look at companies during that time, those who leaned in uh, and said we have to establish and we still have to be there for the long term. And yes, we're going to make tough decisions. Everybody had to make tough decisions. Um, But we have to balance that. And I'm fortunate that I had a board that supported that, just like I have a board today. Um, And when, you know, you are doing things like transformation or accelerating growth or going through difficult periods, um, it's a balance. But I just kept focus on the organization and making them feel confident and giving them pride in what we were going to be able to accomplish. And to me, that's an important element of leadership. You Another important element of leadership that not a lot of CEOs will admit, but you embrace, it seems, is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Okay, so did you show vulnerability then? Did they know you were a little freaked out? Were you freaked out? Do you show vulnerability now as you're trying this turnaround? I think there's a difference between vulnerability and insecurity. Okay. Um, I am as resolute as I was then, uh, as I am now, about our opportunities. So I am going to be very communicative about that. What I mean about vulnerability is showing that you're human, uh, showing that you have transparency. Uh, And it goes back to I don't bifurcate my life. You know, every my first day uh, at at Weight Watchers, I did a town hall my, my first week. 
And one of the first things I did was just talked about who I was. And I showed pictures of my family and a trip my husband and I took trekking in Indonesia and what I was like as a leader and Didn't what my strengths were. Didn't you go to like employee were. training or something on day I, one? Well, I, did, I do that uh, everywhere I go because why wouldn't you want to know what everybody is learning and know what that experience is uh, when you come in? You spend a, a fair amount of your time with other people that are not in your business, not in your core business, not competitors, simply described as by you interesting people. Adam Grant? Yeah, well, it goes back to curiosity. Yeah, why? I have a philosophy that I leave as crazy as our schedules are, and I tend to overdo it, I will admit. (laughs) Me and you, sister. Oh, God. And I always leave a certain amount of time during the week to either do something, meet someone, speak to someone that maybe wouldn't normally come up in the schedule. And, you know, and my perfect example was the Adam Grant example that you're uh, referencing. I had seen him right after his book had come out, um, you know, on TV talking about, no, give and take. Oh, wow. Yeah, before. The first one. And it's this idea that there are givers, takers and matchers and givers with a purpose can be the best leaders. And it's so my philosophy of leadership. I happened, I immediately bought the book, immediately read the book, and it so validated so many things for me. I happened to meet his literary agent and said, could you introduce me to Adam? And he did via email. And I was a bit of a stalker, and I looked where his, he was going to be speaking, and he was going to be in Orlando. I was in St. Pete. I sent him an email saying, Adam, I see you're going to be in Orlando. I really would love to meet you. I would love to take you out for dinner. And I'm right in St. Pete. I'm only an hour and 15 minutes away, and you wrote a book called Give and Take, and you have to. And he did. And he came. You have to give a little. And we had dinner, and we've stayed friends since. I had the opportunity to interview him at a conference, and he has since written originals, Option B with Sheryl Sandberg. And um, I read all his his weeklies and his philosophies. Um, But, you know, that's one example. But I also meet with a lot of entrepreneurs, startups, I think what people have to do, if you're in an industry, the most important thing you can do is not just stay in your lane. Meet people from across. If I think about when I first started at HSN and we were, I started going to the Consumer Electronics Show. So this is, you know, in 2006, 2007, where everything you know, was for guys and hardware. And I'm going saying, no, we, we, we communicate to women. I want things in colors and I want different things. And they looked at me like it was crazy. Five years later, I'm bringing them leopard swatches to, <laughs> to do. And today women buy more consumer sure. products than men. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the beauty industry, look how technology is affecting that industry. Yeah. So you have to really be open to incredible experiences um, and whether they be experiences. And you know what it goes back to? It's pure and simple. Diversity drives innovation. And whether that's diversity of experience, diversity of thought, diversity of people, um, it's a critical element uh, to embrace in today's world. 
uh, and we'll get to how you are focused now on on really diversifying Weight Watchers and the customer base, et cetera, even into men, which I think is interesting. We'll hit that in one moment. But two other things I wanted to hit on before we do that about you. Someone once told you to be someone you're not to get ahead. What do you remember who and what did they say? And did you do it? Did you try uh, it? I've never done that. I don't think I know how to do that. And I think you have to bring your whole self and who you are. And as part of that, though, um, one of the most powerful things you can have is acute self-awareness, meaning know who you are, know what your strengths are, um, know what you can maximize, uh, know your impact on people. I've actually been working with the same executive coach for almost 19 years, wow, um, David Dalek, and he's become a friend. And I think I tell this to people all the time. Um, I wake up every morning and saying, "How can I be better today? How can I be a better parent, grandparent, uh, leader?" And it's a constant learning experiment if you think about it. And it, you have to let yourself be open to things. And people know. People can read inauthenticity. BS. They can. Meter. And more so today than anything else. You know, it's everybody, true. you know, people who try and put a fake front on, people see through that. And the transparency thing, like, you know, you're never going to have, you know, unbelievable results in business 24 hours a day for 40 years of a career. But what you have to do is own it, mm. be transparent. Mm identify what the issues are, articulate what you're doing. Um, and I think that's what people appreciate. What they don't appreciate is defensiveness. And what they don't appreciate is not people owning things and being transparent. Your mother clearly had a profound impact on you and said something in, was it in Yiddish? Everything in life is beshert. It's my motto. And in Yiddish, it means meant to be. And I think because of that and how I grew up with that, I never look backwards. I always look forwards. Um, you know, people ask me what my greatest regrets have been. And I go, I don't even really think about the word. Now, there are times that I wish some outcomes would have been better. Sure. <laughs> um, but you have to keep learning and you have to self-assess and you have to keep moving forward. And who knows? Um, you know, if something difficult happens... Um, what might the alternative have been? You don't know. So you just have to take it, learn from it, and move forward. Beshert. Beshert. More from my conversation with Mindy Grossman after the break. So is this to Weight Watchers now and your, your lift now and your turnaround now, is this the hardest one yet? You know, they're all different. I don't think there's level of hard. I think everything is also, you know, time element, what you're trying to do, where you are in your career, um, what you're trying to accomplish as an organization. Everything's hard. Um, you know, I've never it's met not really any worth CEO it if it's not that hard, said, right? oh, yeah, that was easy. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's all hard. But it is a matter, though, of being very clear on what you're looking to accomplish and what the strategy is, what the milestones are, how you're measuring. Um, and 
you know, what, what the path is to get there and the belief. So in building WW, wellness company focused on weight loss as a focus, but away from just a weight loss company, Correct. what happens if weight loss becomes in vogue again? This is not a matter of something being in vogue or not in vogue. This literally today is a matter of a global crisis in obesity. We are the biggest proponents of body positivity in the world. We don't dictate a weight. We say to people, what does healthy mean to you? But, that, but that's different but, than what Weight Watchers but, was before you, yes, right? Yes, but in many measures, the definition of healthy encompasses a lot more than just a number on the scale. Yeah, I don't weigh myself. I know where I'm at by how you feel, how I feel, how I wake up feeling, how my clothes fit. Yeah, I don't own a scale. There's a difference between body positivity and feeling healthy and obesity that is going to have life-threatening effects. So if you look at kind of the world today, look at the United States. Life expectancy has gone down the last two years. If we do not make a chain, millennials will be the most obese generation in history. And my grandchild at two has a better chance of being obese and unhealthy than of being unhealthy. And if you look at uh, diabetes and you look at trickle-down effects, it's serious. And what people need is the tools, the partnership, the community to give them the behavior science and the healthy habits and the nutrition and all the other elements. And also, I can't say how much community inspiration and support is part of our DNA of our brand and how important that is. I mean, meditation is another arena you guys are getting into partnering with Headspace on things like this. Mindset is really critical. So think about the journey. If you start, you're, you're, you're not feeling great or you realize you need to do something. The first thing that needs to happen is something has to trigger in your mind, and we call it your why. Um, and we ask people, what's your why? Um, and it could be that, you know, I couldn't run after my kid, or you know what, I didn't feel healthy, or, you know, I'm getting married and I want to look great, you know, whatever that is. Um, so your mind has to trigger something, and then you need to start the weight loss journey, Mm -hmm. and then you feel better, and then you start being more active, and then your whole persona changes. And if I look at, so Connect, which is our digital community, which is so powerful, all 4.6 million people are part of that. Um, The number one hashtag is hashtag NSV, non-scale victory. And it's how people feel. And anyone I've ever met whose life has been impacted by what we do, they don't start with how much weight they lose. They start with that NSV. So how a few things that I I want to get to here. Um, Keto, what did the keto diet do to you guys? Look, do you blame that for a big part of the challenge? I don't blame anyone for anything. Uh, You got to take responsibility for yourself. However, on cyclical basis, there are things that come and they become the thing to do. Um, And, you know, the reason why people come back to what we do is we are not a short-term mechanism. Um, One of the things that we feel is very palpable and powerful 
uh, is we are the most livable program on the planet. And livability and sustainability today around healthy habits, uh, around wellness, around weight loss are critical. Um, and what's interesting is when someone in a family is on WW, the whole family gets healthier because you're not extricating yourself from society to have to eat something prescribed. You can eat anything you want. So Our no, program gives no you the guidance. No meal kit partnership then? People have been wondering So that. there's a difference between a prescribed, you have to eat this every day, and are giving you healthy options, whether it be at the Barclay Center with the WW Freestyle Cafe, which just relaunched last week. It's a few blocks from my house. Yeah, actually, you have to. So Eric Greenspan, who's an incredible chef who's lost over 50 pounds. So the menu is now yeah. all comfort cooking. So you can have your mac and cheese and your chicken tenders just made, uh, made healthier. And yes, we have a partnership with Blue Apron around yep. WW Freestyle Meals. So do you think a weight, like a, a formal partnership or launching your own meal kit might be in the works? You know, there are areas where we feel strategic partners who've got the expertise in supply chain, um, delivery, all of that. And there are areas that we're going to do on our own. So, for example, we just launched, relaunched every single product we make. So our snacks, our breakfast products, um, all the products that are in service of helping support our members. Um, You know, we weren't, they didn't fit our new mandate around health and wellness. So you we changed all of it, changed everything. So there's no artificial ingredients, sweeteners, preservatives. Um, and so everything you see today, whether it be in our, our studios, our digital commerce site, our new store that we opened on Amazon, it's all our new products that represent who we are as a brand today. What is the most important piece of data that you now get about someone? We are very, very focused on personalization. So the more we can understand consumers' behavior, the more we can respond to ensure that they have greater success. So what is like the one thing I could tell you about me digitally that would, that can make your business the best and the most effective? Right. So I would say if you look at critical areas of retention, right, if we see someone stop doing behavior or start doing behavior, we can prompt them in a different way. If we see you stop tracking, we can say, you know what, here's some ideas or, you know, here's the ability to sleep better or whatever that is. And so that's why one of the critical strategies and investments, whether it be in our data science or technology, is really around our being able to anticipate behavior and then personalize it for people. And, and not just women in their 40s and above, which has been most of the no, market. We you, are, want more, you have 10% men and you want more men. Yeah, and we actually, that number has raised. So if you think of diversity. Or how do you get men? Like you have DJ Khaled, right? Yeah, we have, you know, yes, we interesting. have DJ Khaled, but we have a lot of male influencers. And what's interesting is men are widely successfully on the program and it sometimes drives women crazy because they lose weight really quickly and it's very livable. But (laughs) when we launched Invite a Friend, 
Um, we actually saw the split at about 80-20, female and male, because we know a lot of people want to do it together. But if you think about elements of diversity, right? Yeah. It's age, gender, race, ethnicity, geography, and life stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and life stage also very important. Young moms, right? They're having children for the first time. They want to be healthy for their kids, healthy for themselves. Um, you know, but what's great about today with the capabilities around marketing and whether it's in social or digital, mm-hmm. you can, you know, create content and create communication that's relevant to broader audiences than before. I mean, you can. Your, your chief brand officer, who I'm fascinated by, everything I've read about her, told the Wall Street Journal recently, our members share everything with us, from their credit cards to what they're eating every day to their emotions. That is a lot of it's, data. And it's very powerful. And Gail Tifford, who you reference, um, you know, is an incredible uh, marketer and believes in diversity. She's one of the co-founders of See Her, how women and girls uh, are reflected in media. And, you know, to her point, yes, we have the quantitative data, but the qualitative data is so important. So if you look at Connect, which is our digital platform or our workshops with our incredible coaches, we're seeing emotion and we're seeing behavior science and we're seeing what motivation does for people and we're also seeing what they're sharing and so we recently launched connect groups so you can identify with people like yourself so young moms or people who travel a lot on business or guys and we see what they're sharing and what is important to them Um, what's important to moms who are breastfeeding, for example, and how do we have to communicate? What what about minorities? Because I know that, I mean, you told Forbes, WW is an organization that truly embraces diversity. Um, And I know there is a real effort there. You see a need to broaden the diversity of your user base, more African-Americans, more Hispanics. Absolutely. And actually, just this week, we announced as our new ambassador, Tamla Hall, the gospel. uh, Yeah, I saw that. She's incredible. I saw that. And she's a motivation, and she's started having immediate success uh, with the program. But what she wants to do, and what is, I would say, consistent, with all our ambassadors, whether they came out of our program, their goal is not just for themselves. Mm -hmm. They want to inspire other people to get healthy. And she definitely feels that way about the African-American community um, and how, by her example, she can help people lead better lives. And that's what we're all focused on. And if I was going to give you one reason that I wanted to do this so badly um, for that next stage of my career, not only did I want to deliver a financial return on equity, but I wanted to deliver a human return on equity. And that's what we're doing every day. That's the purpose of the company. And I will tell you that all 18,000 people in our organization feel that. And you can it's palpable within the environment of what they're looking to do. Let me ask you about teens because you started Weight Watchers at 14. And I know you guys are going after millennials and a a younger uh, user base as well. That's been uh, purposeful. But you ran into some PR troubles with the marketing to teenagers. There was, um, you know, an employee event and planned off for, I think it was six free weeks to memberships to teenagers. There was backlash. There was hashtag wake up Weight Watchers. The Academy for Eating Disorders posted an open letter to you guys. 
you heard them. You formed a youth advisory yes. board, 24 experts. And you said a few months ago that you would share soon what you're going to do with that information right. so, and how you're going to go after teens. Yeah. Have you made you a know, decision? We, we take our responsibility very seriously. And as I said, there's nothing that we do, nothing, whether it be our rewards and loyalty program, which rewards you for things you do to be healthy, to our nutrition, to activity that's not informed by science. So we sat back and said, okay, we want to help youth and families. We know there is a need, but let's be cognizant of what the most effective way to do that is going to be. Right. So to your point, we started a youth and family advisory board. We actually also acquired a company called Kerbo. Um, the science is out of Stanford and it's focused on youth obesity. Uh, it is a free app, um, but there's also a coaching element of that for families um, that we've integrated into our world. And we're working to say, okay, what is the longer term strategy of how we can support families and youth even further? Um, but we're doing a lot of work around that. So as we wrap up, two final questions on success for you. You've already succeeded by every measure there is in terms of the many jobs you've had, your mother, grandmother now. Um, but what's going to tell you, Mindy, inside, okay, I did this, I succeeded in total? You know, so let me talk about it in, in, in two ways. Um, one is in my current role. Uh, what I have said is I'd love to you know, be standing somewhere with an incredible group of partners and be able to announce that through our combined efforts, we've had an impact on starting to change the health trajectory of the world. That to me would be very, very powerful and I think needed. For myself personally, um, you know, I wanna do what we're trying to help people do. I wanna live the best, healthiest life I can as long as I can. You know, I wanna be that grandparent that travels with her grandkids to Paris and does crazy things. Um, and, you know, live, live the best life I want and uh, for my family. And I think that's what everybody wants. And mm -hmm. that's why we're so passionate about what we feel we're, we're looking to accomplish. What do you want your granddaughter? She's two now and you have another on the way. Uh -huh. What do you want them to say about you one day? You know, I just want Emma and my future granddaughter to say, that's the best Mimi ever. That's my name. <laughs> that's what I uh, call mine. And that, you know, they, they want to be with us forever, too. Uh, we Are wish, you Mimi, too? No, that's what I called my grandmother. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I drive down to Iowa every summer and spend it with Mimi. Oh, that's mm -hmm. fantastic. Remember it vividly. Uh, we wish you luck. Thank, Thank you, you this for is being fantastic. here. Um, what a journey it's been for you. And I, I, I have, you have many chapters ahead. I know yeah. that. Thanks, Mindy. Really appreciate Very it. Very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a new fan of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. As always, you can follow me at Poppy Harlow CNN. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.